Well, good morning uh, and welcome today again to Journey. My name is Randy. If I haven't met you, I'd love to do so. And I want to echo what John and Humera said uh, several years ago. Uh, we took Financial Peace University. It changed the way we uh, look at money and the way we handle money. And uh, I just want to encourage you, if you want to take it and there's uh, something keeping you from it, uh, please let us know what that is. And we will love to, to help you out and get you in there. And let me change your future and your, your family's future as well. Well, we're going to be talking today uh, about the law. And Tony kind of kicked that off. He asked me if it's okay if he's shared what God had been telling him and showing him this week through his study. And uh, I said, that'd be, that would be great uh, because uh, the law is something that we, uh, most of us don't like for some odd reason. Uh, but one of the reasons we don't like it is because some laws don't make sense. Have you ever heard about the dumb laws that are in our, uh, on our books in the code all over the country? Let me share. In Arizona, for example, you're not allowed to spit. Can't spit in Arizona. I don't know why. In Arkansas, it's against the law to mispronounce the name of the state. You can't call it Arkansas. It's Arkansas. It's against the law. In California, which is known for their amazing wisdom and decision, you're not allowed to own, build, or use a nuclear weapon. Just good news, right? In Connecticut, you can't sell a pickle unless it bounces. I suppose that must be, you know, it's ripe if it bounces, but I was thinking if you bounce a pickle, who wants to buy it, right? In Georgia, you have to use your fingers when you eat fried chicken. Uh, it's against the law to use utensils. It sounds like a law for us, doesn't it? Some sort. In Idaho, it's against the law to engage in, get this, consent, non-consensual human consumption. So in other words, you can't engage in cannibalism unless you have the other person's permission. Uh, they obviously would be dead, but if they gave you permission, I guess it's lawful, all right? Uh, you can't throw a snowball in Topeka, Kansas. In Maine, you can't advertise on tombstones. Like, who would do that? <laughs> Doctors and lawyers, maybe? I don't know. Um, in Maryland, you can't swear while you're driving. Some of you, some of you would be Ubering everywhere you go. <laughs> know that. In Minnesota, you can't grease a pig. In New Hampshire, you can't collect seaweed. In Virginia, you can't own a skunk as a pet. That stinks, doesn't that? <laughs> and here in good old Kentucky, if you're going to be a public official, even an election officer... You have to swear an oath that you have not fought a duel, nor have you been a second in anyone else's duel. I promise you, I have done that many times. I do the election board, and you have to take an oath that you have not fought a duel. You know, we laugh at these silly laws, and we say, well, those are really dumb, you know. Uh, but the reality is that most of us don't like laws. And it's not just dumb laws we don't like, it's any law. We don't like any law that is enforced on us. And I'm thinking specifically here about the speed limit. Who likes the speed limit, right? But a law is something that binds us or constrains us or limits us and dictates or controls our actions. And it's not just the law that we don't like. We don't like sometimes people who are associated with the law. Can you say lawyers? We won't go there. We won't even, we won't even go there in that, right? But we dislike what we dislike more than laws and more than lawyers is when religion and law come together. We dislike that. And that's why words like legalism and judgmentalism and fundamentalism and intolerance are some of the most hated words in our entire vocabulary. 
We don't like the idea of legalism when it comes to religion. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we began a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's amazing in this Sermon of Jesus, the topics he's covering, uh, happiness and influence last week. And next, we're going to talk about marriage and divorce and relationships. Excuse me, next week is... Uh, uh, about something else. Just the next week after that is marriage and divorce. And several other topics are coming up. But we're gonna, today, we're going to talk about what Jesus said about the law, because Jesus spoke of the law. If there's a subject in our world today that we don't care, like the law, it was even worse in Jesus' day. And that's why he came to address it and to be real honest about it. So here's what he says in Matthew chapter 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I think this message may touch some of us differently. Some of us are a little bit indifferent about laws and commands. We're a little lax, but there are some of us who are really uptight about keeping rules. If you're a rule keeper, keeper and you really, you know, it frustrates you when everybody else breaks the rules, uh, this may speak to you. Hopefully it speaks to everybody. But let's begin with what Jesus is talking about when he uses the word law. The word law is used throughout the, the Bible. In fact, the word law describes the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And those five books were called the Torah, and they were based loosely or, or fun, uh, fundamentally on the commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, I know there's history in there, there's creation and the Jewish people and everything, but it's all kind of wrapped around this idea of the law. The law was given to the people of God, from God, through Moses to tell them how to live their godly lives. So when you think about the, the law, you may be thinking about specifically the Ten Commandments which was the, great, the greater kind of a um, summary or um, umbrella of the law itself. So the Ten Commandments, uh, by the way, were repeated in the New Testament, and they still provide a basis for us obeying God. But so the Ten Commandments are kind of a broad type of law, kind of like if you think in our country, like the Constitution. You know, we have a Constitution, and it has, it's not huge, uh, but it has the basic laws in it. But there was another type of law in that day, which would be like our case law. I don't know a ton about laws, but I, I know that case law are rulings that courts have made over the years and their decisions for guidance on specific matters. And for example, when you hear that Congress passes a law, it can have thousands and thousands of pages. Well, those are laws, case law that have been passed that govern our country. And the Jewish people had a similar type of thing. They had the Ten Commandments, but they had other laws as well. And those laws we have recorded in the Bible, many of them, and I'll explain a little more specific about that in a moment. But when you think about the law in the Bible, you think that some of the laws that were given were like the Ten Commandments for every, all people, all time. But there were also some laws that were given specifically for the people of Israel in their time. And uh, an example sometimes is that people who want to discredit the Bible oftentimes will go into the Old Testament and pull out some obscure 
strange law, unique law, and they will say, well, we don't keep this law, then why should we keep any law of God? And basically that shows an ignorance of the law and of the purpose of the law. So we have to kind of, you know, get our heads together and figure out what is for all of us, all people, all time, and what was uniquely for them. But in Jesus' day, the law was not just the five books of the first five books of the Old Testament, more than the Torah. It included many other laws and rules and was also known as the tradition of the elders. Tradition of the elders. Traditions can be good or they can be extremely difficult to manage, right? And so these traditions had been collected by those who are Pharisees and teachers of the law. They calculated that in the Bible, in God's command, there were 248 commands and 365 prohibitions. So they were focused on the law and they really wanted to know what, they, what the law said. So there were 248 things you had to do, 365 things you could not do. And their intention was they were going to keep every one of those rules no matter what. Now we should keep rules of God, right? But it's how they went about it that, that caused the problem. Not only did they want to keep them, they wanted to force everybody else to keep them too. So they kind of set themselves up in that way. But they felt like those laws needed more explanation. So they made more laws about the laws and more rules about the rules. And they added about 1,500 more laws. So if you can imagine having over 2,000 laws that you had to keep straight, that you had to first of all know about, and then you had to keep to the letter, it was difficult. It was crazy. It was really hard for, for the common person. For example, here, here's one of their, their laws. They were told they would not take the name of the Lord God in vain. That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? And they didn't want to do that, so they would not even say the name of God. They wouldn't write the name of God. Even in worship, they wouldn't use God's name because they were afraid they would take it in vain. The Bible talks about not lusting, and so they would, they would not even look at a woman, so they wouldn't lust after her. But what that did is it made them look and feel superior, and it made women feel inferior because they weren't even counted. They weren't even acknowledged as being present. They were told not to work on the Sabbath day, their seventh day, their day of worship, but they had to determine how many steps you could take before it was actually work. And they determined that it was 50 steps. So you could take 50 steps, but beyond that it was work, and you were working on the Sabbath day. It was so so many laws, so binding. You could eat on the Sabbath day, but you couldn't cook. You could bandage a wound on the Sabbath day, but you couldn't put on medicine. And that was all their determination. They loved the law. They were professional law enforcers. And they took it on themselves to punish those who broke even one of God's laws, even one of their own made-up laws. Not just God's laws, it was their laws as well. It was a crazy way to live. And like Tony said, it would be so difficult to even know the law, let alone keep the law. But when Jesus came along, all the Pharisees and all the lawyers and teachers of the law, they really thought Jesus would jump on the bandwagon with them. Because remember, at the age of 12, he was already educated. He had already been talking to them. And they felt like, you know, he understood it. He grasped it. He knew the law. He loved the law. He would probably help them hold up this mighty law. But Jesus didn't do that. In fact, he seemed to be a radical. He seemed to be almost a lawbreaker himself. And this really got them in trouble. I think some of their efforts and their concern about Jesus was, was genuine in their hearts anyway, because they thought he was a rebel of some sort. And this willingness 
to not abide by their laws put him at odds with the teachers, obviously the religious teachers and the Pharisees. And no doubt it made him even popular with a certain group of people uh, who didn't like the law anyway, you know, almost like Robin Hood. You know, he's our representative. He's out, you know, uh, trying to get rid of the law. But notice what Jesus said when he clarifies this. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus didn't come to blow up the religious system. A lot of people think, oh, Jesus came just to blow up the Old Testament. He didn't do that. He came to fulfill it, to fulfill it. Now, to fulfill something means that you make its meaning known. You explain it, you complete it, and you bring it to fruition or you bring it to its natural goal. So Jesus claimed that he was what the law was pointing to all along, that he came to fulfill the law of God, that he completed the purpose of the law. So every law that was given, every prophecy in the Old Testament, every ceremonial system that was set up, every sacrifice, everything was completed by Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, they were commanded to make sacrifices. Today, we don't sacrifice animals to God because Jesus was the ultimate and final sacrifice for all sin for all time. Aren't you glad that we don't have to do that? It's not a part of our required worship. We don't go through a priest anymore because Jesus is our high priest and our bodies, we're told, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we have to view the Old Testament and the law through the life and the ministry of Jesus because he fulfilled it. You know, in fact, Jesus didn't, he didn't thumb his nose at the law. Jesus loved the law of God. And he obeyed the law of God and he taught the law of God. But what Jesus was especially critical of were the traditions and the teachings of the elders that made up, that had those made up rules. You know, these, these things drove him nuts. They had made it a legalistic set of do's and don'ts that was too heavy for anybody to bear. Any, nobody could really keep it, uh, even the folks themselves that made them up, uh, they hid that. We'll talk about how they hid it in just a moment. Uh, but whenever Jesus heard about those laws and felt them trying to impress them on people, uh, he, he said, we can't, we can't do this. We can't do it. Now, but also keep in mind that Jesus wasn't really a rebel. There are people today who hate laws and hate commands so much that they erroneously claim some sort of new morality. And the new morality says something like this. I don't, I'm not bound by any law, but the law of love. All I have to do is just love people. And I don't have to keep any commands. I can do whatever I want, live any way I want. All I have to do is love. It doesn't, isn't God love? Well, God is love, but that attitude is not of Christ. God's law still stands. The law of God is God and God is the law. And the law of God is kind of the standard of how things are meant to be. The law of how we should treat people. I mean, think about the, the 10 commandments, how we ought to think about what a marriage looks like. Uh, what high, uh, what light and darkness are, how to be a parent. All those things come out, you know, in, in the law of God. And, and God's law is unchanging. And God's law stands the test of time. In fact, Jesus said, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. And what he was referring to here was that the Hebrew language had all these little like accent marks and strokes and tails on there. And, and each one of those had a meaning of some sort. Never studied Hebrew, but I know it's, it's pretty complicated. But he said, even the smallest part of the law will by no means be changed or disappear for the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus loved the law of God. He just didn't love the law that were, was established by the tradition of the elders. 
And Jesus knew what his place was. He fulfilled all that with his life and ministry. Jesus initiated kind of a new day, a new era. That's why we have the new covenant with God, where the law would not be the guiding principle for the kingdom of God. Before Jesus, the way to go uh, be pleasing to God and go to heaven was to obey the law, every bit of the law. Break one law, you were a lawbreaker. Uh, but, But the problem, like Tony said, is that nobody could keep all of them. The law wasn't wrong. The law wasn't invalid. But the law had been fulfilled or was fulfilled by Jesus in his life. So Jesus was just trying to help them see that it was not just the outward compliance of the law that God wanted, but God wanted the law to be written on people's hearts. He wanted to come from within them. And in fact, it is the law of love so that we can comply with God and love people too. One time when Jesus was asked to summarize the law, Jesus said this, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like this, love your neighbors yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So it is a law of love. And if you think about the Old Testament law and what God gave them, it was a law to honor God and and honor other people, to treat people like you want to be treated. It was just simple as that. That is the law. But Jesus came to show us how to live that. That's how Jesus thought about the law. That's how, he, that's how he lived his life. He kind of thumbed his nose, to be honest with you, at their laws. You know, one day his disciples were walking through a field of grain, probably had taken over 50 steps to get there. So they were working and they were hungry and they reached down and they pulled some grain off and rubbed it in their hand to eat it because they, they wanted something to eat. That was work. And he, they were condemned over that. Jesus said, that's not work. They're just trying to get a snack, you know, leave them alone. Jesus gave them freedom in that because that's not the, what, the law that God intended. Now, how do we think about the law today? Well, Jesus goes on and tells us, therefore, anyone who sets aside the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches the commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice the first section there. Jesus said, if you set aside the commandments of God and you teach other people accordingly, you might get to heaven, but you're going to be the least there. You're going to be the least there. And we're not to judge people or anything else or or what churches teach. But let me just say, we want to obey the Word of God, the full Word of God. And we want to be obedient to Him in every way. And then he says that greatness in the kingdom is measured by conformity to kingdom practices here, that we are to obey and teach others. And it's not just greatness in the kingdom, because then he goes on to say that we won't even make it to heaven unless our righteousness is greater than the teachers of Jesus' day. Now, that seemed a little scary to us because they were perfectionists. They knew every law. They knew the law and they kept every law. But remember, for them, it was all surface and it was all appearance. It was all about being seen by people. They loved the law because the law made them look good. They knew the law. They made up the laws that, that didn't exist and that they wanted. And so it was all done to look good. You know, there are people today who, who live like this, who love the law and want to be seen as good. I've run into them in ministry. I'm sure you have. I hope you're not one of them. If you are, let Jesus speak to you today uh, because it's not all about keeping laws and rules to look good and so that you're better than everybody else. But can you imagine how these words stung the Pharisees and the teachers who were more than likely there that day? 
I mean, they're out there listening to check this guy out, see what he's got to say. And he's telling people, you got to be better than they are. You won't even get to heaven. I mean, that stung. That had to. There were all these commandments and prohibitions in the law itself. And these guys had created new laws that restricted the commandments of the law. For example, let me tell you how they did that. They restricted the definition of murder and adultery to just the act. With the Bible, the Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, right? Very clear. But in their minds, it was just the act of doing it. Jesus extended this to, to uh, include angry thoughts and um, indecent words and lustful looks. And we'll, this will come up a little bit later on in, in future sermons. So they, they said the law, you know, God said, don't lust, don't murder. It's just if you do these little things. Jesus said, no, it's, it's much more than that. And then they also extended the permissions of the law. So they, they would restrict the commandments, but they would extend their permissions. For example, the law allowed divorce for adultery, but they extended the law to include divorce in that day for the husband's whim, if the wife was a bad cook, if he found anything he didn't like, then, then it was okay to divorce. So they, they gave him a lot more freedom, and that's not the spirit of the law either. See, the law of God wasn't given for us to use as a weapon or for proof of how good we are or to figure creative ways to get around, and that's what they did a lot. It was given for, uh, it was given for us to obey God. It wasn't given for us to be legalistic and obey rules and regulations to try and appear spiritual and try to earn acceptance from God. That's religion. And that's what we hate. Someone says you're religious, that is not a compliment. Religion is this outward appearance of godliness without the relationship with God. So the law is not just what we do, it's who we are. Keeping God's law is in the heart. It comes from the heart. Not only the letter of the law, but more importantly, the spirit of the law. Spirituality is not about laws and rules and religion. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So you can have all your lists and your rules and your regulations and follow them to the letter and yet have no relationship or no life change, no transformation, no connection with God. And that was the problem of the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They were so hung up on laws and rules that they didn't even know God. Authentic spirituality is not about do's and don'ts and collect checking off boxes. I did this. I didn't do that. Because if it were, we'd all be in trouble. And we would all have to admit that we're imperfect. And, and we do need to admit that. And we'd be kind of hopeless because that would be what we're depending on. And it just wouldn't be enough. Let me give you an example of someone who acknowledged that. That was the Apostle Paul. He's a great example. He had everything. He was a Pharisee, I believe. He did check all the boxes, but he was far from God. He acknowledges that later. Philippians chapter 3, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh or the law, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So Paul says, I was darn near perfect in the laws, you know, in the eye of the law. I, I knew everything. I knew the laws. I kept the law. I made up laws, no doubt. I used to out-religion everybody. Nobody could, could uh, equal me when it came to knowing and keeping the law. I had this great pedigree. I could trace my lineage all the way back to Adam, and I was faultless. If religion could save me, then I was in for sure. But then he goes on to say, but whatever 
were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. If you know the story of Paul, you know that he was a bold man who was out so, so zeal for the, zealous for the law that he was out killing Christians, persecuting them. He, had, he didn't make any money doing that. It's just he was so convinced and convicted that was the right thing to do that he just went out and he killed Christians. But then one day he was struck down on the road to Damascus and blinded and and he, and he saw Jesus, and it changed everything, and he gave all that up. He gave his wealth up. Some say he lost family, maybe even a wife, you know. That he was just, he lost everything, and his, his place and respect among his peers, all that was given up for Jesus. And he said, that's okay, though, because according to him, everything connected to legalism was worthless garbage. And the word he uses here is an interesting word. It's, it's the word skaluva and skaluva. That's how it's translated garbage. But you know what the word actually means is manure or dung. So in that day, a bunker, bumper sticker would probably say skaluva happens because that's kind of what he's saying here. That's, that's a strong word. It really is, you know. But what he's saying is that all of our good works and all of our rule keeping are worthless dung compared to knowing Christ. And that's why he willingly gave it up to follow him. You know, when you look at Jesus' words and teachings and ministry, he oftentimes went on the warpath against legalism, and, and they were his target, the religious leaders of his day. That's why he was rejected. I believe that is why he was put to death, why they were the tool that God uh, allowed to, um, was allowed to kill him because they hated him so much because he exposed them so, so openly. He went on the war pass against legalism, but Jesus never attacked the law itself. He never attacked the law of God. He loved the law of God. And we need to love the law of God as well. We need to love what God, the truth that God, how God wants us to live. And there's a couple of ways that we can mess up today when it comes to the law. The first one is that we can make everything about external laws and rules. And some of us lean that way because we are rule keepers. It's all about laws. It's all about keeping the rules and, and everything. And that can easily become legalism. The second mistake we can make, though, is to say there is no law. There is no objective truth. There's, there's no standard by which that we're to live, that we're called to obey God. And, and both of those extremes are wrong. They're both wrong. God has given us the standard to live by. We need to keep that. It's, it's his law. We should love the law. It's written in his word and it's fulfilled in Christ. But it is true that we're no longer under that law for our salvation in the sense that the law is about works. Works don't save us. Your goodness is great. Be as good as you can be, but don't depend on that for your salvation. The Bible says we are saved by grace. Ephesians chapter 2 says, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The way I, I, the way I heard this years ago is that we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. We are saved to fulfill those good works that God has prepared, that God has a plan for us and we need to be doing that obedient to him, but it doesn't save us. 
and we're also not released from the law as a rule of life. We oftentimes think the law is something that's opposed to grace, but in reality, they're not opposite. The law was given us to show that we could never, ever justify or save ourselves by being perfect. And the Bible tells us that the law was like a schoolmaster that would educate us to bring us to Christ and see our own sin and see our need for God's grace and his forgiveness. And even with grace, we still need to keep God's laws. Grace is not an excuse to break the law, God's law. Some people act like and do anything they want to do and then just lean on the grace of God. But in Romans 6, Paul says that we are abusing the grace of God when we just keep on sinning. We just can't keep on doing what we want to do, knowing God uh, opposes that or God hates that, and just say, God, forgive me, time after time. At some point, we got to learn, and we can't take his forgiveness or his grace for granted. That's sin itself. So I, I hope this has maybe at least shown you what Jesus thought about the law and maybe helped you think about how you view him. If you're a rule keeper and everything, that's great. Not everybody tries to do that. And, and, but we should keep the law, especially God's law. But understand that we need to, more than anything, love the law of God like Jesus did. Obey to the best of our ability, but don't depend on that to save us. Because that only comes through Jesus Christ. Christ alone. And understand that we can miss the entire spirit of the law by trying to keep the letter of the law itself. The law was given to show us who God is and how God wants us to live. And we still live under that. Jesus fulfilled the law, reconciling with God. Our goodness and our good works will never save us. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that's, guys, that's why the church doesn't just teach what to do to be good. That's why we teach that to be saved, you have to have Jesus. Regardless of how good you are, we're all works in progress. Some people are better than others, right? Just naturally. We maybe we have a more motivation or we were raised in a certain way, but understand that the goodness will never save us. That's why Jesus came to fulfill the law, to show us how to be obedient, to show us that we need him to have our sins forgiven and to, to take away uh, the, the, the things we've done against God's word, take away our sins. So this morning, I would challenge you as you kind of process this and think about it, to think specifically about your relationship with Christ, and are you depending on Him to save you and to, to cover what you can't cover yourself, your own failures? And are you seeking Him daily, you know, for forgiveness when you do break God's law? Understand that you were not saved by good works, but you were made for them, and God wants us to live in that way. But Jesus comes first above everything. So if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, and you know, maybe you've been depending on your goodness to save you. Hopefully this has kind of opened your eyes to say, how, see how much you need Jesus. And you'll want to step toward him and give him your life. I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to pray with you uh, about what's going on in your life. Maybe what we've talked about today has not, it has not touched where you are in the moment. And you need someone to talk to you, to pray with you. Uh, Tony and I are going to be up front. We'll have others who will step up and be available, or maybe just want to come up and spend some time with God. And maybe, maybe your time in prayer alone will just help you communicate your, your brokenness or your need for him, or maybe some repentance of saying, I've been trying to do it alone and I just can't do so. 
But during this time in this uh, uh, song, I, I invite you to come up and share in prayer. And it would be wonderful if, if as a body we could just pray for one another, pray for our relationship with the Lord, pray for those lost people that, are, that don't even know they're lost yet, that are hoping that they're good enough to save themselves, and their good's better than their bad. There's a lot of people like that out there. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for Jesus who breaks things down and simplifies things for us. Lord, I just want to, Father, I ask that you would help us understand um, what your will is for our individual lives. That, Father, you've called us to a life of holiness and purity, and that we can't do that alone, that we can only do it with the help of Jesus. Not only does he forgive us and overcome our shortcomings, but he gives us your Holy Spirit that allows us, enables us, Lord, to, um, to walk your way and to live a holy life. So, Father, I pray that for those of us who know you and are living and walking in you, God, you give us conviction of the heart and mind and spirit and draw us to you, Lord. I pray for those who maybe haven't, um, ha- haven't figured it out before today, that they might just see that it's not goodness that saves, it's Jesus alone. And, Father, then help us to live and walk in your way. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.